This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to XNO Quick Hits. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined, as always, by the co-host of TOJ Film Room over on our YouTube channel, Turn On The Jets TV. We are going to break down one of the top prospects in the NFL draft coming up in a couple of weeks, Quinnen Williams. And that, of course, is Mr. Joe Blewett. What's going on, Joe? Um, you you know, and I think I'm the co-host of my show. I don't know if we're both co-hosts or there's one host and a co-host, um, but I am the host. So I'm going to get on you for a little bit on that one, like the guy uh, at that celebration or whatever, not the celebration, but that jersey reveal called the guy, uh, called uh, Leonard Williams Big Dog or whatever he called him. <laughs> Which, by the way, I did not talk about this on my podcast when I recorded it, but that was one of the most frustrating things I've ever seen in my life because... I was getting out of work. It was like 7.30. I was like, okay, well, you know, 7.30. I'll switch to like 7.35. They'll show them real quick. I'll drive home because I don't want to drive and look at my phone. And uh, like, it was like 7.35, 7.40, 7.45. Like, screw this. <laughs> I'm driving home, and I figured it out later. Um, but I'm doing good. You, you know how it is. Uh, we're talking about it before. We both got like four hours of sleep and then uh, worked, and now it's this show, and then it's uh, putting up some Nick Bosa film after this, and then it's uh, – doing some film on Garrett Bradbury later tonight and then doing some work on my uh, special little project I got going for people um, that I'm not going to reveal until it comes out uh, after the draft. So it's a jam-packed, sleepless day of uh, football. I know what the special project is, and if you DM me a PayPal with $100, <laughs> I might be able to tell you ahead of time. If not, you're just going to have to wait. But today we know that we're going to be talking about Quinton Williams. And before we get into it, Joe, I should point out that you've done an entire video show on Quinton Williams. And it's up right now at our YouTube channel, Turn on the Jets TV. And I love Quinton Williams as a prospect. You do too. This is not a secret to anybody that follows anything that we do, whether it's on social media or listens to this podcast or watches your film reviews. Everybody knows that we are at the front of the Quinton Williams train with a couple of other people. And I think that he is the best prospect in this draft. At first, I didn't want to get on board with it because the idea of drafting another interior defensive lineman just seemed wrong to me. But the more you watch him, the more you realize what an impact he could have. Everybody will say you need an edge rusher, and so your instinct is to say that even if he's better than Bosa, you should take Bosa over him because Bosa plays the more important position. But the more film I watch on both of those guys, the more I have my view shifted, and now I'm firmly in the camp of if you're three and he's on the board, you should absolutely take him unless some sort of crazy trade offer comes your way. And I want to talk to you about why the two of us are in agreement on this because you and I have had many private conversations about this. And now that you've had your chance to do the full-on film review on our YouTube channel, Turn on the Jets TV, people can see exactly why you're so high on him and exactly why I'm so high on him. So let's start with one of the things I love the most about him. And this is something that Brett Coleman from SB Nation is going to talk about also when he comes on the podcast next week. Quinnen Williams has incredible instincts. It's the type of thing that you cannot teach players like Jamal Adams, guys that you watch throughout the years like Ed Reed, Troy Palomalo, just super instinctual, always seems to know where the ball is going. His eyes are pretty much always where they need to be. Snuffs plays out all the time. Talk to me a little bit about this aspect of Quinnen Williams. Yeah, and Scott, let's be honest. When we were watching, well, when I started to do the draft breakdowns, um, Quinnen Williams, I think, was the third player I watched. I think I did Bosa, Allen, and I did Q. And after I started watching Q a little bit, 
I remember like just texting you curse words like about how <laughs> I was because I could not contain my excitement. I was like, you know, holy, you know, blank and blank. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he, he is ridiculous. Um, I put up the show yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday. I don't know if I'm going to get released, but I put it up yesterday, which would be what, I don't know what today is. I might sleep on oh, Saturday. Um, but, he, I was gushing over him. Like there was times where I'd be talking about him, like I'm talking about him, like like he's my girlfriend or something like that. Where I'm just like <laughs> smiling, can't contain it. And I've done plenty of like film reviews. I watch plenty of players, as you know. Um, the amount of film I watch is it, 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 to me, to my family, to my girlfriend, to my friends, to you. It's stupid. And there's very rarely that I watch a player and I just gush the entire time, like. Him and Le'Veon Bell are the players. I'm like, just it's it, it's incredible how good these guys are, um, and to think that he will not, you know, transit to the NFL is crazy. But in terms of instincts and the awareness, um, it's it's the awareness at all levels. It's, it's how to position your body. He knows where the running backs are going. Um, and and the really good thing about his game is, um, which I know you know about, and I've talked to you about it. Uh, I know other people have talked about it as well. It's, it's the light stance that he uses off the line of scrimmage, and because he uses that light stance, which is basically you know, it, when you are in the three-point stance, you're loading up a lot of that weight, you know, on your front hand, you explode off the ball, and you're trying to penetrate, but uh, Quentin Williams likes to put the put that a lot of that weight on the balls of his feet, and he raises up after the snap, which lets him read plays um, instead of just running right into the offensive lineman's body, fighting uh, hand fighting with them. He likes to read and react to their hands, to the play, and he just notices stuff, and he's really, really quick. It's not, it's not notice it, uh, think about it, then jump on it. There's plays where you know, listen. If he's in the one, if he's a one tech, two eye tech, three tech, and that and that guard is pulling, and he has, if you see that guard pulling, and he has an idea that the center is trying to down block him on a one back power power sweep, whatever it may be, he's following that guard, and he's just going to eat your running back alive. Like it, it is amazing off off the line. If he sees a certain offensive lineman going a certain way, if he if he sees zone steps, if he sees everybody moving a certain direction, he's going to backdoor that zone and again eat your running back alive. Um, if he sees your, you know, and any offensive lineman, if, if he sees their hips slightly off and are angling a little bit, where if you're angling off to one way or the other, it's going to be harder for you to react the opposite way that you're angling. Um, he's going to attack that. And it's just, it, it happens so quickly and he's just so aware um, of all this stuff. There's times and there's plays where I've shown you, um, and I guess this will go a little bit more under like hand fighting and things like that. But there's times where he literally hand fighting with two guys at the same time and, and, and accurately. And to, to do that is just a B it's, it's beyond a new level. Um, I do not see that when I watch film, uh, now, okay. A guy, you know, bull rushing and trying to penetrate a gap and lessening your shoulder and, and trying to burst through the a gap on a combo block. Yeah, that happens. But accurately hand fighting while keeping your chest clean versus two guys is is just is just out there. So um, the the guy's awareness and his smarts are a reason he's so good. And you and you you put that on top of the other things we're going to talk about um, with his hands, with his moves, with his age, with his explosion, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's why he's such a good player. And and you know as well as I do, Scott. You've been watching the NFL for like seventy years now. Um, <laughs> there's there's plenty there's <laughs> there's plenty of guys in the NFL who are freaks. Um, but the, the, the thing that makes, uh, uh, you know, a freak who's just an average guy or a guy who's fizzles out in a couple of years and a guy who's a freak and stays in the NFL for 10, 12 years are guys who know how to use their freakish athleticism one, and they have to be smart. If you're not smart, you don't have awareness, you don't have a good football IQ, you're not going to make it in the NFL. There's just no way. There's too many freaky guys out there. 
um, who could do the things that you could do. But it's all about it's all about technique and 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 awareness and, and smarts. And he possesses that um, to the highest degree. So uh, to watch him play, it's it's honestly it, like like I said, I was gushing over him like like he's my girlfriend or something. Like that just smiling while I was watching, him, like laughing, like creepily laughing, like I'm some freaking evil genius on Cartoon Network or some stupid crap like that. So, uh, yeah, it's safe to say I, I really, really do like this prospect. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Let's talk about his technique a little bit more because that was the first thing that jumped out at me when I watched his tape is that for a guy who's 21 years old, his technique is practically flawless sometimes. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's there's a lot that goes into two techniques. I can hit a bunch of keywords. Um, obviously, with the with the array of pass rush moves that he has, you have forklifts, you have humps, you have swipes, you have double swipes, you have clubs, you have arm overs, you have club arm overs, you have bulls, you have swipe rips, chop rips, bull jerks, push pull, ice picks. <laughs> like he he has all these moves, and he knows exactly when to use them. And he doesn't just use one move; he knows how to stack them. He knows how to attack your hands accurately. He's, he he knows when he should hit your wrist, when he should control the wrist. He knows when to, uh, when to hit the elbow, when to hit the shoulder. Um, he knows when to, to when to drop his weight after raising his weight on a, on a on an arm over move. Um, the technique in terms of rolling is rolling the power through his lower body up through his hips into into his upper body with good extension uh, to lift guys up. Uh, hand placement, tight elbows. His his technique is it, it's flawless. Um, now with technique, the only thing he can work on is a little bit is is with taking on double teams in the run game which we can get into a little bit later. Um, but that's probably the only one. I'm not going to call it a negative. It's just not flawless. Uh, but like I said, with the awareness, with the instincts that, that we already discussed a little bit, uh, on top of the fact that he has just fantastic technique and, and all of his, in all of his moves, the, the timing of it, rips he, he really places his rips uh correctly and nicely he, he like i said with that light stance he waits for for punches to come out and as soon as that punch comes out he's gonna he's gonna again lessen his body give you that club move and then arm over you um you know in, in perfect timing and like that one play i was talking about in terms of in terms of like hands and technique uh the one play i forget exactly i think it was against i think it's against texas a&m where he's a zero tech and he crashes into the left guard, so he kind of like he, he uses like a long leg step, 
um, to get to the left guard. The center throws out like their drag hand and they're trying to throw out a, sh- a, you know, a shot with their right arm to try to help the left guard. He controls the, the uh, left guard's hand with his, he controls the left guard's right hand with his right hand. So he like, almost grabs like they're holding hands, swipes that down. As, as he's moving to the left to get to the left guard and swiping the hand down, he then throws, I forget if it's a swipe or a club, to the left guard and then arm overs with the hand that he was using against the center. Like, it was, it's, that is, like, crazy. I can't even say um, how crazy that is, like, just watching that and then, and then trying to, like, relay um, that to people who do not watch film. Um, so you see that, and, and that's, like, obviously a ridiculous example, but uh, there was just highlight play after highlight play after highlight play watching his film. Like, it's just very, very consistent, the, the really good technique and the hands and all these moves. It's just, it is crazy. Joe, a lot of people will say that he's not an explosive athlete and that he's certainly not as explosive as somebody like Ed Oliver, but mm-hmm. the numbers kind of speak for themselves. You look at what he did at the Combine, and when you pop on the tape, there are plenty of explosive plays. Talk to me about his athleticism because, to me, he's a mm-hmm. lot more athletic than most people give him credit for, especially for a guy that's over 300 pounds. Oh, 100%. I, I, can, I can easily show you plays of, of him on the interior of the defensive line you know, on the backside of a run, chasing down a stretch, you know, outside zone, wide zone, um, whatever it was on that particular play. So you could chase running backs down. And something that I really, that really, really impressed me that I didn't um, notice just like watching him on TV, he actually has some really good bend. Like I've seen him throw some rips and then, and then show some really good um, hip mobility, uh, ability to turn really tight corners and ankle flexibility. And for people like, oh, ankle flexibility, what does that matter? Um, for to to bend properly, if you if you could picture a guy bending in your head, where basically you know his legs are at an angle, his upper body is is straight up. For your ankle to be able to bend and your cleat to be able to create contact to the ground and still and still be able to push off the ground, you need ankle flexibility for your leg to be at an angle but your foot to be straight. If you could picture that in your head, um, and he has that, he has the bend to get around. Like I said, he could chase chase guys down and try athleticism too. He has the power to bull rush guys. And he's three hundred pounds. He what he ran a four, what a four eight something. Like that's that's a good speed uh, for a guy who's who's that big for sure. And for people talking about like, oh, he's not explosive, like the athleticism. Plenty of plays I could show you where he's in the backfield in in a quarter of a second, blowing up a run on third and one, where he's in the backfield, and literally a quarter of a second chasing guys down from behind. In terms of like that explosiveness, like I talked about, you know, to you before we started recording, there's a play against Texas A&M on the goal line where he he. Uh, I think he, I think it was a club arm over. He club arm actually no actually it was a it was a bull jerk arm over. That's what it was. And he beats the guy so badly he brings the I think it's the the right guard literally to his knees. Like he, he beat the guy so badly he brought him to his knees. And there's another play in the Clemson game which he didn't make any plays in apparently, um, which I know we'll talk about probably. Uh, he uses a club arm over and he the arm over comes so hard that it knocks the left guard's helmet off like it's <laughs> he's definitely explosive so that's that's uh he's not Damon Snacks Harrison he's definitely a really really explosive athlete as well hey guys this is Greg Peterson host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
Let's talk a little bit about his weaknesses. He sort of touched on it a little bit. I know you mm-hmm. gush over him, and I do too, but nobody's perfect. There are some defects here. I don't think it's anything huge, but there are some things he can work on. What are they? Yeah, the, the ones that I that I wrote down, and like I said, the, the list that I do I, when I do those reviews on Twitter and I put out these whole um, articles whenever I always do an entire list of strengths, which if you, you know, if you wanted me to read um, the strengths off right now, it would probably be like an hour and a half podcast. But the, the weaknesses, um, I would say versus double teams in, in the run game, I like to see him dent the post more. Uh, which is basically just just attacking that guy, that that first man in the combo block who's going to initiate contact with you. Uh, so you don't allow the guy, the, the other offensive lineman, to assist him to to get into your into your hip pocket and and push you out of the play. So I would like to see him a- attack the postman a little bit more, a little bit more consistency and leg drive versus those double teams as well. And then there are times where he plays a little bit high while he's rushing, not off the snap, but while he's rushing, and you can see him lose balance a little bit. Um, but other than that, really, I, I guess I could reach for in more like clustered situations. Um, he'll try to throw some moves where I like to see him just use a straight bull rush. And he lacks he lacks elite length. Like his arms are thirty three and one fourth, if I'm not mistaken. So it's it, it's still good, but it's not elite. Um, so if I had to, some of those are like, like I said, those are very few plays. You don't see that on a consistent basis at all because there's plays I could show you where he's also beating double or triple teams, um, or not, it's not really a triple team, but three different blocks. But, um, those are very, very slight weaknesses that he has. Let's talk about some of the myths that have gone on around Quinn Williams, of which there are many, Joe, and we both know this. You alluded to this a few minutes ago, and it's something that's kind of driven me a little bit crazy, and I don't know why it started, but there's this perception that Quinn Williams was a ghost and disappeared in the national championship game against Clemson. Now, if you just look at the box scores, you'll see that he had two tackles for a loss, even without watching the film. But if you watch the film, you'll see that he very clearly made some nice plays in that game. I don't know where this whole thing got started, but can you go ahead and debunk it for me, please? Uh, yeah, it's 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 really just watching the film of that game. I, like I said, I don't know where it came from. I kind of was making fun of people before before we started recording. Like some some one guy just watched it and was like, oh, I didn't see like Quentin Williams once. And uh, even though he's probably like watching and eating his hot dog and didn't really wasn't really paying attention to the game, he randomly tweeted out and everybody ran with it. But there was like you said, the box three, what like three tackles for a loss. There's plenty of times. Um, where he hit uh, Trevor Lawrence, but he, he got rid of the ball. He didn't dominate that game. He had a good game. Now, did he have as good of a game as he had versus you know LSU and Texas A&M um, and some of these other teams, Louisville? Um, no, but he still had a very good game. He, he made plenty of plays. There's at least four, five, six really huge impact plays that he made. And with that game, too, also something that I noticed when I was watching it, um, the Clemson offense was smart about it. They, they double-teamed him almost every single play. Um, or, or high, a high, high amount of plays. They, they definitely got multiple blocks on him, and they ran away from him a lot in that game. Um, and then later in the game, they were beating, you know, obviously Alabama really, really badly, so he stopped making plays, but no, nobody on Alabama defense did. And like we said before, he's not going to have a great game every single game. I think just because of the national championship game, people are going to react like, oh, that was his last game, the guy is trash, what the hell? 
but they played in the SEC. It's not like they didn't play good teams. They played Alabama played good teams every single week. So um, he made plays all throughout the season. And like I said, nobody's gonna have a good game every game. Tom Brady doesn't. Aaron Rodgers doesn't. Aaron Donald doesn't. Um, nobody does. So to pick on one game, you know that that he had that wasn't you know elite, instead very just very very good um, as a reason to not draft them, I think is is pretty foolish. And like I said, there's definitely. Um, I, I turned that game because the tape came out or, you know, the YouTube video, whatever came out, um, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. I was like, oh, they all thank, thank God it's finally out. And I watched him like, he definitely is making plays. Like, I have no idea what people are talking about, so I, I don't know where that came from. Hey, guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. There are people that will say since he plays interior defensive line, he can't get the kind of rush on the passer that somebody on the outside can, maybe a Nick Bosa or a Josh Allen. But if you watch the tape, to me, it's pretty clear that he not only can but does do this. And you mentioned all the variety of moves that he has. Talk to me a little bit about why Quinn and Williams could have a major impact in the pass rush game, despite the fact that he's not an edge rusher. Um, well, one, as you see the NFL transitioning to a really quick passing game, um, you're, you're going to want to take the guy who's closest to the quarterback and just by geometry is a defensive tackle closer to a quarterback or is an outside linebacker um, closer to a quarterback. So obviously creating that rush up the middle creates a lot more disruption too because a guy like Brady, and I've said this before, I'm always taking interior pressure uh, versus exterior pressure because a guy like Brady versus exterior pressure, all he has to do is step up in the pocket, um, those offensive linemen, those tackles, they just have to really guard um, a very shallow area because as soon as they try to turn that corner, all Brady has to do is step up in the pocket, get rid of the ball fast because he literally gets the ball fast you know, out of his hands in two seconds anyway. Um, so they're farther away from the quarterback, and that's why they typically don't make a huge impact versus him, you know, minus a guy like Von Miller who is Von Miller, and that's why, because he's a freak. Um, but guys like Aaron Donald have made plenty plenty of, of you know impact and obviously, you know, do you expect Quinn Williams to be Aaron Donald? Not necessarily, but I think he's going to be close to that level. And Aaron Donald, look at his stat throughout five years. He has 59 sacks through five years. Now, if Quinn Williams didn't quite live up to that, and he had, I, I don't know, 45 sacks through five years, are we not going, going to take that? And that, that's like a lower bar for him. Um, so he, he's going to be able to create that pressure. And we've seen it before and we've seen it in his film with all the bull rushes, with all those moves I talked about where I mentioned like 10 moves. If if you can beat the man in front of you, you're going to get there quicker. And listen, if you could beat the man in front of you and you're closer to the quarterback, you're going to be able to get there quicker than, than an outside linebacker. Because like I said, it's just a farther distance away. And I'm like I said, into your pressure. Listen, if you get that pressure from the inside, there's really nothing you could do as a quarterback, especially if you have those, um, those outside linebackers pinching in and just containing that edge, um, which which is a lot of what you see the Rams do, where, listen, if you're going to just rush one outside linebacker, you can still step up, you can scramble out the other way, um, where with interior, um, we're going to pinch the edges, and you're not going to be able to go anywhere unless you can really get through tight spaces in the pocket. And two, even if you do get to the outside, uh, whether it be, you know, a Lamar Jackson or, you know, playing a guy like Baker Mayfield, 
if you roll out to the right or to the left, you're cutting off one half of the field. So that helps the defense too. Then you, then, then a defensive coverage can roll, rotate over. You're going to see some more interceptions. You're going to see some more uh, cross body throws and things like that. Um, so I'll, I'm going to take that into your pressure all day. And I think it's foolish to say, oh, you can't get uh, pressure from, from the inside because you just need a good player who's able to do it. Guys like Donald, guys like Cox have done it, you know, their, their entire career. So I think uh, Quinn and Williams is going to be, you know, one of those level players. And I think, in a, in a couple of years, I'm so high on the guy that I think he's going to be, you know, probably the second best interior defensive lineman in the entire NFL in a couple of years. There are people that will say Alabama churns out guys like this regularly, and he is nothing more than a product of Nick Saban's system. What do you say to that? Uh, I think I, I'm saying that you're trying to troll me by watching some of my Twitter fights. From earlier <laughs> this day. That's, that's what I say. Um no, when yeah, because you know, when's the last time Alabama has had a top, you know, top one or top two uh, interior defensive lineman go in the draft? Let alone the, the you know the top ten. I can't, I can't remember one. Um, and product of the system. So so because uh, Nick Saban's his coach, he's able to do all these different um, pass rush moves that I was talking about with swipes, double swipes, clubs, forklifts, ice picks, all this stuff. Like that's that's Nick Saban who's doing that. It's not Quentin Williams. Um, how is how is Nick Saban's scheme, uh, you know, allowing him to beat double teams and and triple teams and having this technique? Now, yeah, he got coached up by a good coach, um, but it's not the scheme. It's not like he's running a bunch of gap exchanges and stunts and twists where he's he's just having to beat one guy um, who you know he has an advantage on because of that of, of that stunt or that twist or that gap exchange. That's not the case. You see him consistently beating double teams. And if that was one of my concerns, I would have seen it on film. I would have said, oh, you know, this looks like it's more like it's more manufactured pressure. And, you know, he's only having to beat one guy or half a guy or a guy who's kicking out late or gets his hands on late. No, that's not the case. Like I said, you're seeing him consistently beat those double teams, um, you know, squeeze through, uh, you know, multiple guys. Uh, stack moves together, link his hands and his feet. Where, where uh, that's a, it's a good thing that I showed on on the podcast this week, or uh, on the podcast. Well, yeah, it's a podcast, but the video show um, as well, where I talk about linking the hands and the feet. Where your right foot goes forward, you want your 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 right arm to do something. When your left foot's moving, you want your left arm to do something. And if you don't link your hands and your feet, you're not as effective. He does that perfectly. And there's multiple times where he's linking his hands and his feet to beat uh, two blocks literally right in a row. Where like. You know, left foot forward, he'll he'll use a club, and then his right foot's forward, and then he's using a you know an inside rip to the other guy, and then he uses you know another rip to the other guy. Like there's been times where I see him throw two rips and fight through two guys to get pressure on the quarterback. Like it is it is absolutely absurd um, what this guy's able to do. And it's not it's not Nick Saban. There's plenty of videos I could show you everybody of uh, him just beating you know multiple guys, which uh, clearly is not Nick Saban. He's not throwing a helmet and, and assisting him. So. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Some skeptics will say, sure, he can beat double and triple teams in college against inferior competition, smaller guys, some of the smaller schools. He's not Mm going to be able to do that at the NFL level. You're not going to be able to take on two and three guys at a time and be able to beat them the way that he did at Alabama. And he's going to be, as a result, much less effective in the NFL. What do you say to that? I say to that, you're talking about Ed Oliver. <laughs> that's that's what you're talking about. Because if he was winning with just power or just speed or just bend or just strength, you know, I think I said power and strength, which is the same thing. But regardless, um, if he was winning with just those those you know athletic traits, then yes, I would be more concerned. He would drop them on my board. I wouldn't be so confident in him. But like I said, when you stack 
um, awareness and instincts on top of flawless technique on top of just the raw athleticism this guy has, I'm, I'm not concerned about it. And something that you said, Scott, and then I said, this is his first year, I, you know, one, playing in a full-time role, because last year, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was a lot lighter last year as a defensive end. He asked what he needed to do to start uh, on the defensive line, and they told him to put on a couple of pounds, put on a couple of pounds, uh, pounds played interior defensive line, and was already like a magician with his technique. And he's 21. And that's his first year playing interior defensive line. Like, so maybe he did in high school. I'm talking about the college level, collegiate level. Um, so this guy has, he's already flawless in, a, in so many areas. To think what this guy can grow into is scary. It, it, is, it is really scary. Now, maybe he can add some more weight and still have that great technique and he could be more of a two-gapping guy in the middle of the Jets defense instead of being, you know, 302 or whatever he is. Maybe he bulks up to 310. Um, he could two gap a little bit more, maybe you want him more in a, you know, that hybrid role, which I think he's at a good weight now to do it, like 300 pounds where he could two gap, uh, he can one gap penetrate, he could also run those stunts and exchanges. Or maybe you want to go to like a strictly, you know, four, three, and you want to make them, you know, that one tech, zero tech, or three tech, but you want them penetrating, you know, almost strictly, then he drops down to 290, and then you really see some more speed. So, um, what this guy can do in the, at the NFL level, I, I think is absurd. And like I said, it's, it's smarts and technique you win with in the NFL. You, the, the athleticism is obvious. Everybody has that. But um, to see a guy this, this instinctive, this smart, this technically refined at such a young age, it's, it's truly something you, you rarely, rarely see. Since you brought up Ed Oliver, I want to touch on this, and we'll get into Ed Oliver more in a future podcast. But Connor Rogers, our friend over at Bleach Report, has Oliver rated ahead of Quinn and Williams. And there are some people that will say, even if Quinn and Williams is better, it's close enough that you could trade down, get Ed Oliver, and it's not that big of a deal, and you pick up extra picks, and it's worth it to do that because the gap isn't that big. Tell me why you disagree with the people that think that and with people like Connor Rogers who have Oliver rated ahead of Quinn Williams. I think I think people have Oliver ahead of, of Quinn Williams because of those flashy plays, because they see they see that explosion, they see how aggressive he is, they see his ability to chase down uh, running backs from behind, but they fail to realize and they say, Okay, well yeah, that's that's Aaron Donald. But people don't realize Aaron Donald's best trait is, is his technique. Now, yes, he's a freak. Obviously, that's that's something that goes without saying. But when you watch um, watch Aaron Donald, it's the technique that I'm talking about with Quinn and Williams, which obviously Aaron Donald has mastered to even more than Quinn and Williams. But it's not just the freak freakishness that he wins with. Oliver does not have that. Oliver. There's way too many times where he looks completely lost. He's a guy who just puts his head down, tries to penetrate through a gap, and hopes the running back is there. If not, he just ran himself out of the play, and um, and the running back is completely away from the quarterback, completely away from the play, is completely away from him. Um, many times when he'll get swallowed up by double teams, bad technique, bad leverage, bad hands. Like you know, now, people might tag him in like one or two plays of him using his hands well, but it's all about consistency. Um, in terms of the of the technical refinement and awareness part of the game, he's not even on the remotely same level as a guy like Donald, like uh, Quinn and Williams, and that's the most important part of their games. So I don't I don't see how you could say a guy like Oliver, who is like I said, a freak, but but lacks in the biggest areas of the game, um, is as good as a player as Quinn and Williams. When Quinn and Williams, you know, has that freakish athleticism. Where yeah, Oliver is a guy who who almost looks like he's a he's a linebacker or a safety running sometimes. But he also doesn't have the power that Quinn Williams has. Quinn Williams has 
some good speed. He has bend, but he has a lot more power than a guy like Oliver to take on double teams. Where Oliver is a guy who sh- he's going to strictly play in a four three. He's not going to be he's not going to be a two gapping three four player. So he's already much more limited there. So he's going to have to go to a four three team. And if you get like he's kind of kind of a guy like you know I talk about with guys like who have great technique and awareness, they can win versus anybody. Where Oliver, if he plays a, a, a top notch or even just a solid offensive lineman in the NFL who can deal with that athleticism with their technique. Technique is always going to win. So I see him getting shut down versus the top end guys. So um, yeah, he looks flashy. He has some awesome YouTube highlights. Wow. Look at that play. But when you walk, when you watch him on a snap, snap basis, I think you'd be a little bit more disappointed because you see uh, some of the more um, ineffectiveness that stands out because of that awareness. So like I said, he'll make one great play five, bad plays and then one great play again it looks great on youtube highlight but it's all about that technique and awareness that's something that he just he's not a he doesn't have as a plus trait from a jets perspective one thing you hear all the time is well if they draft quinn and williams they're gonna have to rotate him in and out because they've got henry anderson and they've got leonard williams and his skill set is redundant and if he played on the defensive line he doesn't have a natural fit he can't play the nose on and on down the line as far as where he would fit on this specific jets team you also hear a lot of people saying Man, it's insane to do this again because they spent all these picks ah. on interior linemen and look at where it got the Jets, nowhere, and they're never going to be better than they were in 2015 with the guys that they had then, and that's a common criticism you hear as well. So if you could, deconstruct all this stuff and tell me why you don't think that it's valid. Well, one, Wilkerson was drafted eight years ago to a completely different team and a completely different staff, so he's, that, that's not even worth talking about. Uh, Quentin Copels was a 4-3 end um, who was playing 3-4 outside linebacker and was also drafted seven years ago. So I don't know why we're thinking about seven years ago. Uh, Sheldon Richardson was drafted six years ago to a completely different team, completely different regime, um, was a really good player, actually, um, and still is a really good player, but he had some head case problems. So Sheldon Richardson was a good pick, um, but he's also a guy who we picked at, what, uh, 13, Scott, if I'm mistaken? That's the year we took Dean Milner at him. I think he was like 13. Yep. I remember I was, I was at that draft, and I was like, you know, yeah, I thought he was supposed to be like a late teens, early 20s type guy. Like, why are they taking him here? And he obviously panned out well. But we're talking about guys who were drafted in the middle teens, um, you know, Wilkerson right at 30, uh, you know, Quentin Copel's at 16, if I'm not mistaken, who was not even an interior defensive lineman, so that doesn't even really matter. He's, he's a, he's an outside linebacker defensive end type. Um, now Leonard Williams, yeah, okay, we drafted the guy four years ago, and they're not even the same prof, they're not even the same level of player, in my opinion. And a lot of people said, you know, Leonard Williams, uh, he, he was, he was a top, uh, he was a, supposed to be the top guy too. Leonard Williams was more, I, 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 like, he's a different player than Ed Oliver, but I think in college, from what I watched of him in college, I wasn't scouting and I don't know if you can call it what I'll do scouting, but breaking down film of college players like I did, uh, or then like I do now. But Leonard Williams was one of those players who won with that athleticism, that power with the, with the combination of, uh, of speed and, and fluidity. Um, not a guy who won with, with technique and, and just pure refinement of those type of skills like Quentin Williams has. So not the same type of player. And to just say that we shouldn't draft Quinn and Williams because of those guys, because we need to rotate guys. People have literally said to me, Scott, like, hey, we have we have Steve McClendon, who, by all means, I think he's a good player, but we have him. We shouldn't draft uh, Quinn and Williams. Like, you have a guy who you thought wasn't going to be on the roster a couple of a couple of weeks ago, re-signed to a one-year deal, who's 33, 34 years old, so he shouldn't draft, in my opinion, in your opinion, and many other draft guys. If you don't trust my opinion, there's guys like 
whoever it may be, like Bucky Brooks, whoever you want to listen to, who have Quinn Williams as the number one player in the draft for a reason. He is that good. Um, and in a 3-4, now, is he a true, you know, nose tackle, stuffing, uh, you know, two-gapping type player like a Mike Pennell was? Um, or Chris Jenkins, like they'll talk about like relevant Jets players who did that two gapping type role. No, but guess what? The Jets aren't doing that because they're under Greg Williams defense. And I know Greg Williams is playing a three, four and people say, Oh, well, you know, a three, four, you're two gap. Yeah. in in the very, very simpleton ways, that's what they do. But you watch Bill Belichick's defense, you watch any defense um, who has some versatility, which, which Greg Williams is going to have. Uh, Bill Belichick will two gap with one guy, one gap with another, one gap with another, and two gap with another. Like every single person on the three-four defensive line does not have to two gap. Now, will he be sometimes? Yeah, sure. But Greg Williams' scheme, um, regardless if it's four-three or three-four, uh, which people can talk about all day, and I think he will slowly transition into a four-three over that three-four. Regardless, his 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 thing, and and what his defense is predicated on is gap exchange and its stunts. And when you're running a lot of gap exchange and stunts, he's not going to be, um, you know, two gapping the entire time. So it, it's three, four, four, three. He's still going to be penetrating and and um, jumping over multiple gaps and things like that. So he's not going to be asked to do that a ton. So it doesn't really matter. I think that's not really even a valid a valid argument because of Greg Williams' defense. If you knew what he did, like I just explained, uh, you wouldn't worry about it as much. And as far as a rotation, even if it was a three, even as a three, four, that's attacking a little bit more. You're going to have Q inside as that zero, zero to three technique, um, mostly zero at one. And then you're going to have Henry Anderson play the outside like he did last year at, at like, as like a three to five. And then you're going to have Leonard Williams who prefers to be a three to five. So you, that's, that's the three positions of the, of the three fourths. So they fit, they fit fine there. And they're going to throw in hybrid schemes where they're, um, or, or just multiple fronts where they're four, two, four, three. Um, whatever it may be, three, three, five. They're going to throw a bunch of things in there, so they they have they have the guys to do it. And the thing with the defensive line uh, that people don't realize, it's actually good to keep your guys fresh. Does every defensive lineman play ninety nine percent of the time? Never. They never do. It, it, defensive line is one of the most exhausting positions you can possibly play because an offensive lineman. Listen, if it's me versus you, Scott, every single snap. If you know, okay, my quarterback's going to throw it in, in two seconds from the backside of the run. You don't have to give as much effort, but every single play as a defensive lineman, you have to explode off the ball as hard as you possibly can for the for the most part and try to rush that quarterback um, or or get to the play side. It's defensive linemen are, are they're they're always exhausted, so to have a deep rotation is a good thing. Now, am I saying that that Quinton Williams is going to play, you know, seventy percent of steps? No, but because we have a little bit deeper rotation, we have a guy like McClendon. You have a guy like Nathan Shepard who who could step in and hopefully play a little bit better than he did last year because last year he played absolutely he didn't play any snaps which by the way is another argument that people bring up oh we drafted Nathan Shepard <laughs> like we shouldn't draft Quinton <laughs> Williams which is just crazy but having those guys to spell him you know sometimes maybe he plays ninety percent of snaps keep him a little bit fresher so he could be at, at at his absolute best level um, is something that's that's a good thing anyway so he's not he's not a rotational piece like people are starting to bring that up now too which is like again another dumb thing like oh rotational piece so people automatically think he's gonna pay, he's gonna play 70 percent of snaps which is not true he'll play 85 90 which is which is fine with me like i said even if it's a three four it's not it's not a two gapping three four it's not going to be that primarily at all so um you don't have to really worry about that so he's gonna fit the scheme henry anderson will be in uh, a lot of snaps. Leonard Williams will be in a lot of a lot of snaps. You'll, you'll see Steve McClendon's role diminish a little bit. It definitely diminished last year um, because they're not going to be as two gapping as much. They'll come in sometimes, but uh, Henry Anderson, Leo, and Quinn Williams will see the field plenty.
Bringing it back to the Jets aspect of this from a historical standpoint, one guy that I've compared Q to, not necessarily as a player, but just in the role that he could play, is Joe Klecko, because Joe Klecko is a guy that played all over the line, every position on the line, and he could play in a 3-4 or a 4-3. It sounds like you're saying the same thing about Quinn and Williams. Yeah, that, he, he could play anywhere, and I think in his defense he will, because Greg Williams is, has a super, super versatile uh, front seven. Now, in the secondary, is he as versatile? Um, no, not necessarily. I think his his uh, secondary is a little bit bland sometimes. We can see if it's cover two, cover three, cover one type deal. Um, but with those with that front seven, it, it is it is super confusing to watch. So um, you you don't have guys everywhere. You had Miles Garrett, who is a chess piece type of guy for him as well last year, who was anywhere from a nine tech to to covering tight ends and running backs to playing middle linebacker playing zero technique now is he going to play is he going to cover running backs no but he's going to be used all down the defensive line uh i do prefer him to be as a zero to three technique in, in the interior um because he's, he's going to be closer to the quarterback and i think he's going to be the best pass rusher the jets have if they do draft him um where he does have the speed to win from the outside but like i said uh from the outside versus the inside the inside you're the closest to the quarterback you know quinn Williams does have good speed uh, for his size, you know, four eight five, four eight three, four eight seven, whatever it was, um, but it's still not Von Miller speed. It's like a four five, so you still want it closer um, to the, you know, to the quarterback. And like I said, an interior defensive line. But can he play outside as a five tech, four tech, whatever it may be? Four I, yes. Um, is he gonna be there all the time? No, but uh, like I said, he can. There are people that will say in order to lift players like Leonard Williams up a notch. You need an outside edge rusher. People will say, well, Chris Jones didn't really start to blossom until D. Ford was healthy and yet Justin Houston. But I've maintained that somebody like Quinnen Williams could do a ton to lift Leonard Williams up and help take some of that pressure off of him on that defensive line. Where do you come down on this? Do you think that Quinnen Williams could lift up the play of the people around him as much or more than some of the guys that are top-notch edge rushers? Any any good player on any defensive line, front you know, front seven, whatever, whether it be outer and even front, uh, outside linebacker, defensive tackle, if they're a really good player, they're going to take pressure off regardless because you're going to have to, to give that extra man. Now, okay, Leonard Williams is, is a three-tech and, and Q is a is a one. If Q is a one and he's taking the, you know, let's say the, the I don't know, the center and the left guard out of the play, and then you have the outside linebacker taking the right tackle of the play, and Leo, you know, only has that that right guard to play. Does it matter if the double team's inside or on the outside with a right tackle and a tight end? And then you have Q taking up the center. Like, does it really matter where the extra attention is? It it doesn't really matter. Um, he's going to help just as much as uh, any outside linebacker would do. I don't I don't really get that. Any good player who demands double teams demands extra attention on the front seven uh, is going to. Um, you know, help Leonard Williams. Listen, if you're going to single team uh, Leonard Williams, then you have guys like Henry Anderson and Avery Williamson blitzing uh, with Leo. If you're going to double team Leo, you obviously have Q. So it's, it, it, that's, I, I don't, I'm trying to kind of like base my argument on what people are thinking there, but I don't even really understand what they're thinking there. So I can't even form uh, a, a valid argument. But uh, like I said, it's, it's pretty simple. Any good player on that, on that front is going to demand extra uh, help, which takes that extra help off of Leonard Williams someplace. So. 
One thing I've maintained about Quentin Williams and why I think he's such an impressive prospect is that a lot of times you'll see guys with a high ceiling and a little bit of a lowish floor, and then sometimes you'll see guys that have a low ceiling but a high floor. But Quentin Williams is that rare prospect to me where his floor is really high and his ceiling is really high. Mm -hmm. And when I look at it, I see a floor that would be somewhere along the lines of Fletcher Cox and a ceiling that could be as high as Aaron Donald. Do you think that that is a fair assessment? Yeah, um, it's not like a guy in, you know, Josh Allen who has to develop a lot of areas to become, you know, that truly great player. Uh, Q already possesses the things that we're talking about. He like, like we've talked about this entire podcast with the technique, with the explosion, with the awareness. Those are things that are not just going to go away at NFL, at the NFL level. He has all the traits here he needs to have. Now to, to go from that Fletcher, uh, Fletcher, I was like Fletcher Cox, no Fletcher Cox <laughs> um, area to that Aaron Donald area. He's going to have to refine some of those some of those techniques and, and improve them from great to 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 amazing, you know, type level. That that's not really a good explanation, I guess. But um, he's always going to need improvement, especially going from the college level to the NFL level. Um, but yeah, he, he already possesses all those traits to already be a good player. He's he's going to be a good player in the NFL. I see him making multiple Pro Bowls. That's his floor. I really do think he's that good of a player, and that's why people have him, you know, uh, or a good amount of people have him as their number one prospect, like I do and like you do. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he has that He has that super um, high floor, which makes him such an, an intriguing prospect to me because he's a guy who I would bet a, a lot, a lot of money on that he's going to be in multiple Pro Bowls in, in a couple of years, and I see him uh, as an all-pro player for sure. For sure, like I said, if, if he reaches his ceiling, um, he's going to be that second best interior defensive lineman in the league. Is there anything that I can say? Like, I know people are going to say, "Oh, Aaron, you know, Aaron Donald is is the best," but is there, what, what's to say that he cannot be better than him? You know, there's always a player who there's always the next best player, that generational talent. Now, would I bank on it? No, because Aaron Donald is is amazing. But like I said, because of that awareness, because of that technique with that explosion and the athleticism that he has, it, it's so hard to see him um, being a bust in the NFL. It really is. Joe, I think there's something to be said about positional value to an extent. So if you saw an edge rusher that you thought was pretty close to an awesome interior defensive lineman, but you had the interior defensive lineman graded a little bit higher, maybe you go at the edge rusher. But in a case like this, I personally think mm -hmm. that Quinnen Williams is graded so much higher than both Allen, Bosa, and everybody else that plays the edge rusher spot that I can't justify my mind not taking him if he's on the board at number three. Is that how mm -hmm. you feel? Uh, yeah, to a certain extent. I, I listen, like let's say, let's say just for like, I'll make up a hypothetical grade. If 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 Quinn Williams was a ninety eight and Josh Allen was a ninety seven, would I take Josh Allen? Uh, yeah, probably. And that and that comes down to the Jets and what they have on their team with a big hole at at outside linebacker. Uh, with the interior of the defensive line with, you know, Leonard Williams and, uh, you know, Steve McClendon and hopefully a, a developing um, Nathan Shepard. It's not as, as big of a need as it is an outside linebacker, but that's not the case where I think Quentin Williams and Nick Bosa are on a tier of their own. Honestly, if you really boil it down, I think Quentin Williams is the best player in the draft. He's in a tier of his own, and then it's Nick Bosa. I, I really like Quentin Williams a lot more than Nick Bosa, so I, don't, I, don't, I can't compare him and say he's in the same tier because if they were both on the board – I think you're taking the best player there. I'm taking Quentin Williams if I'm number one overall to Nick Bosa. And people might think I'm crazy, but we'll get into Nick Bosa on a different date, and I'll talk about some of the things and why I don't think Nick Bosa is as good as people think he is. I think he's going to be awesome, but I don't think he's going to be Khalil Mack 
Um, you know, Von Miller, awesome for certain reasons that I'll reveal at a different date. Uh, but also with the NFL, I think you're going to start seeing a slow transition because teams are getting rid of the ball so quickly now. And there, and there's so many, um, you know, quick passes. I think that the teams are going to start to really prioritize guys in the interior of the defensive line who can get to the quarterback. So, um, do I think it's that big of a jump from outside linebacker to, or from any out, outside rush of linebacker position to a, to a rush interior defensive lineman, I think they make the same impact. It's pretty damn close. So if one player is rated higher, take that player. And if they're really close, you have a bigger hole. The Jets are outside linebackers should take that player. But uh, to compare Quentin Williams and Josh Allen and put them on the same uh, level, it's, 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 it's a mistake. I've maintained that when you have a pick in the draft, especially when you're this high, the goal has to be to get the best player, a guy who is going to be one of the linchpins of the team, not just for the 2019 season, but for the next decade potentially. And so you can't necessarily look at it as, okay, what does this 2019 roster look like? Let's go ahead and fill a big need. You have to look at it as, which of these guys is going to make the most impact for my team over the next decade? Who is going to be the guy that, and I don't want to necessarily go this far, but if not get a gold jacket, certainly be in that elite discussion, guy that could be one of the keys to my defensive success or offensive success over the next decade or so. And to me, that guy above all else, no question, is Quentin Williams. So even if you think that edge rusher is a bigger need, and so you would say Allen or Bosa might be the better pick just for 2019, which I wouldn't even agree with, but let's say that you think that. For the long haul, Quentin Williams is the guy that you need to fill the description of what I just said. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, well, this year you, you have McClendon. But after this year, McClendon's going to be 34, 35, and then you need interior defensive line the next year. So because of one year, you want to take those guys. And I understand the Jets haven't had the best, you know, luck with Ed, Ed Rusher since John Abraham. I've heard that a million times, but it is true. Uh, but it's becoming tiring to say. So I understand wanting the Ed Rusher. But when you have a interior defensive lineman who you think is going to be a generational type player, really, really like that good of a player, I, I, I don't see how he's going, not going to be very, very, very good. Um, versus players you have some question marks with, with Bosa, with some athletic traits that I question, some injury concerns that I question, and, and Josh Allen, who there's some people who have him as high as, as three on their boards, and there's some people as, who have him as low as 12, 13, 14, 15, which I think those people are wrong. Um, but even, even, even having him, you know, at five, six, seven, as compared to Quentin Williams, who is just an absolute stud and, and is a one, number one overall for many people, um, build for the long haul. Get the best players on your team that you possibly can. Uh, now, if you know Josh Allen's going to be a B-level player for his career and Quinn Williams is going to be an A-plus player over their career, uh, who do you want to take? And you have to factor those things in when you're projecting to the NFL. Um, and those are some questions I have with Josh Allen. So I'd rather just take you know, the, the, uh, the better player um, in the draft now. So uh, Quinn Williams, I, I don't understand how you argued at this point. Um, because you were, I guess it's because you rather take Josh Allen, but really getting down to their film and watching their film, it's you shouldn't even really be able to compare them. They're at completely different tiers. So I'm taking the best player uh, for the team. It's like it's like this 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 year in free agency, Scott. And I, we talked about it before the podcast, and I know it's not a great comparison because they're they're on different playing fields, but. You know, C.J. Mosley, we added C.J. Mosley for the long haul. We didn't need C.J. Mosley, but because he's such a fantastic player, the Jets put all the chips in the middle of the table. They went after him as hard as he possibly could, and they landed him. 
Um, now, because we didn't need an inside linebacker or an inside linebacker, would you rather just thrown sixteen and a half million dollars at Zadarius Smith like the Packers did? Because we needed an outside linebacker, right? We didn't need that inside linebacker. Um, but that's not the point. You need all pro, Pro Bowl level players um, to make that Super Bowl, to make playoff runs. And Quinn and Williams gives you the, the the highest floor and the highest ceiling of all these prospects. So just take him if he's there. Don't don't trade down. Don't take Josh Allen, who I also think has a ridiculously high uh, ceiling, but he also has a, a floor of a guy who is, uh, you know, a Dante Fowler or Leonard Floyd, a guy who's getting maybe, you know, five, six sacks a year. So um, I, I'm definitely taking him if he's there. I'm, I'll be jumping for Joyce. And like you said in our C.J. Mosley podcast, which you can access in our archives if you haven't had a chance to listen yet, the Jets did need an inside linebacker, and clearly they thought so, which is why Darren Lee is on the block right now. They just didn't need one as badly as they needed an outside linebacker. And I would say that this is kind of similar to the idea that if, say, you really like Jawan Taylor, you have Beecham and you have Shell, and Beecham might be your placeholder at left tackle and you can get by with him, but if you have an opportunity to land the guy that you think could be a high level starter for the next 10 to 15 years there's no way you don't take him and I would say it's the same thing on the defensive line McClendon could be a solid placeholder for the 2019 season but there's no way that you worry about him if you're going to make a pick like Quinn and Williams and let's remember if Steve McClendon on a one-year cheap deal becomes depth it's not really that big of a deal either yeah yeah you just have to you just have to look towards the the, the, the future. Like just just because you have Steve McClendon, you know this year, should you not take Quinn Williams for the next five? You know, hopefully not more than five, but seven, eight, nine, ten years. That's that's a very flawed way of thinking. Just take the best player um, in the draft who has that. Like I said just before, the the highest ceiling, um, the highest floor, um, because that what Quinn, that's what Quinn Williams is to me. I understand, you know, the outside linebacker. If there was an outside linebacker who was at his level this this draft, I would jump all over it. I, I get it. I want that outside linebacker too, but I'm not just going to pass on a player who I think is going to be, like I said, generational or close to that level. I really do have that much faith in, in this guy because I want that outside linebacker. I'm going to reach for a player. We'll see if the Jets agree or disagree, or maybe they even trade down. We don't know yet. Draft is a couple of weeks away, but perhaps they agree with your assessment on Quinn and Williams. We are going to find out in short order. Joe Blewett, thank you so much for coming on and doing X and O quick hits on Quinn and Williams with me. A fun time, as always. This is basically a longer version of our text conversations at 2 o'clock in the morning because that's how we roll. We're so exciting. We're talking about X's and O's at 2 a.m. via text because neither one of us sleeps and we're both maniacs. For anybody that wants to watch the video of your breakdown of everything we've been talking about with Quentin Williams and really get a better idea Mm -hmm. in visual format of why you're so high on him and why you think he's so good, what can they do? How can they subscribe? How can they follow your work? How can they access everything that you put together and get a better idea of what the Jets would be getting with Quentin Williams? Yeah, I would uh, honestly, I would like for people who really are, are debating this and saying, oh, he's trash. He's just another Alabama guy. Uh, even if you don't listen to my show at all, just go to my show and which is t- just t- t- uh, type and turn on the Jets um, on the search bar on YouTube. Type, it, it's just it's just labeled Quentin Williams and the Jets. Um, click on that show. Watch 20, 30 minutes of that show and then tell me you're not excited about this prospect. So I'm not just I'm not just spewing crap out of my mouth. I'm showing what I show what I talk about with the awareness, with the instincts, with the technique, with the body positioning. 
uh, with the leverage, all these things that we've talked about, I show it in, in an hour and a half podcast uh, or an hour and a half YouTube show where I break down the film. I show it on the screen to you guys. So um, watch that film. And then I, I, I guarantee people will be impressed because I've already had people on Scott. You've seen it the last couple of days who like I, I had a, I, I, I tweeted out the show for the YouTube and I was like, you know, I, I can't see people after watching this, you know, debating this pick anymore or, or hating this pick. I had a bunch of people like, oh, well, I'll debate it. And I come out and like, you don't know anything. I was like, can you watch the film? And then I, they'll, they won't say anything. They won't go watch the film. So if you really, are, if you hate this podcast, you don't know, screw these guys. I, you know, for whatever reason, you're still listening but out of spite and anger, go watch it and then, and then see if you, if you have, if your opinion changes, because I, I almost guarantee you that, that it will. Um, so go follow me there. And then on the podcast app, it's just, it's T O J space film space room. If you just want to listen to the audio, uh, for really understanding what I'm talking about when I'm describing all the things that we've been talking about, watch the video. Uh, I know it takes a little bit more to sit down and watch it, but if you really want to learn about players on the jets, uh, every jets game, you want to learn about Donald and Le'Veon Bell and Mosley. Um, you know, watch it like another TV show that you on Netflix and really learn about the team so you could, you could talk uh, with intelligence about them and just go and watch uh, Quentin Linder and send me gush over him because watching that film breaking down and talking to you guys on the podcast I recorded yesterday uh, was a very, very good time for me. Go ahead and follow Joe on Twitter at JoeRB31. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Turn on the Jets TV. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.